Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Episode 25. Yeah. 25. I mean, we say it every time because <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> but 25, I mean, that's a lot. The podcast could rent a car. <laughs> Wait, I thought it could rent a car a couple ones ago. Or did we talk about when it would be able to rent a car? Oh, I think maybe it was be able. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been anticipating. <laughs> we've been anticipating this for a while. <laughs> the hard-hitting news and milestones. I mean, I'm amazed we can come up with any banter in year three of COVID. I mean, 25 though. So my brain's so stupid. I was like, that's a quarter of a hundred. <laughs> it is. We're like a quarter of a century old in weeks, ish, kind of, because we changed our format, but. Basically, what we're getting at is, wow, we're proud of ourselves. Agreed. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this little idea. That could. I mean, it's it's actually right around a year since we first really started working on it. Yeah. And thank you so much to the listeners. I mean, every week mm-hmm. listening and listening to the whole thing. <laughs> I know. I know we're very close to our next kind of big milestone, which I'm not going to say because we'll celebrate when it happens, but we're we're inching up there. And actually, my dad is going to start listening, which is a big, I know, he this morning he's like, what what is the URL again? Mostfowlpodcast. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> mostfowlpod.com. Okay, so it's mostfowl.com. I'm like, no, it's mostfowlpod.com. So say it again and again, mostfowlpod.com. I don't even say anything bad, but I'm going to need my mom to just keep not listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we, I mean, we don't say anything really. I mean, other than swears, but. Yeah, the swears, though. Oh, your mom's super anti-swears. She wouldn't like it. <laughs> mm. I mean, my mom doesn't love it, but I, at this point, I'm going to be 50 this summer. She's pretty much accepted it at this point. <laughs> Mostly. Uh, yeah, I can't. I mean, 25 episodes really is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our little idea... And then we spent kind of four months just working on it and getting it ready. And then, yeah, this summer, what will we do for one year? We'll have to plan something. Yeah, something fun. But now we've done episodes that were listener suggestions. Mm -hmm. We've done episodes we didn't even mean to. (laughs) Thinking (laughs) about that Bloody Mary. (laughs) That was fun. Yeah. I love it. I mean, all the little happy accidents and discoveries along the way. Uh-huh. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. I do think 25 is enough that I can uh, throw in a LinkedIn entry about the podcast. Oh, come on. I mean, we agreed. I think we were like, when we get 40 downloads, we'll put it on our LinkedIn. 
Yeah, I mean, then... our opening goals were very small. <laughs> <laughs> but then that requires me to do it. <laughs> well, that would require me to log into LinkedIn, which yeah. is already the bane of my existence. Yeah, LinkedIn, but, but, you know. But still, it's legit. It's legit. It's so legit. And I'm really feeling kind of, you know, initially we were like, oh, and then some big podcast network is going to buy us and we're going to be rich. And now I'm kind of like, oh, indie podcaster. Like that feels like I can, that can be part of my identity. We're, we're still open. Uh, Karen and Georgia, <laughs> if you're listening, uh, Conan O'Brien, HeadGum. Yeah. You can buy us. <laughs> But it would now cost more than $32,000. <laughs> but for each, real, I mean. Each, to be clear, each. Just the idea that there are hundreds of people listening to every episode. Yeah. It's it, incredible. I mean, grateful. I don't know that, you know, we end every episode of We Appreciate the Hell Out of You. But I mean, this is beyond my wildest dreams. I know, like, some people have millions but like <laughs> i i don't have that many friends yeah for sure oh and absolutely so <laughs> the idea that 25 episodes in because you know i was like okay i'm asking my friends to listen to episode one i am yeah. nervous i feel uncomfortable I, it's a big ask yes and the fact that like friends have stuck with it and the fact that it's grown i mean people outside of our networks are listening every week is just incredible yeah agreed and in some ways I feel almost like it's more flattering the people who I know but kind of tangentially who do because it's not it's not totally random I'm not some kind of novelty they know me and like should be bored by me already but they don't like love me and they're invested in supporting my dreams and blah blah they're in this middle zone where it's like oh wow that's really flattering that these people who i know and you know know me well enough to not be that impressed by me uh are still listening so i get a charge out of that little niche 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 you can, you can, you can cut this because the vendor niche has got me all fucked up because they call themselves niche they're midwestern you know like Ugh. the school review company mm -hmm. <laughs> we use them <laughs> and they call themselves niche and i mean i always call it niche not because i'm fancy just you know niche but they call it niche and now like when i go to say that word <laughs> i like can't <laughs> say it because my brain is like what do i say what do i say anyway my little niche audience that I feel very proud of. So listener, whoever you are, wherever you are, we really do appreciate you. And we're just so glad you come back to us each week. And yeah. we're going to keep making more for you. If you have ideas for shows, DM us, email us, uh, go to our website. There's a form submission for ideas for your own stories because we love making this and the fact that you're listening means the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's very cliche, but I can't remember the cliche I was going to invoke, but. Don't you mean klitsch? It's very klitsch. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember what the klitsch was. I'm having 
brain fog all over the place. And that's why my mom can't listen. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's incredible. And I hope that we're able to bring some new insight or a fresh take on things or um, present stuff in a way that is interesting. I mean, that's our goal is there are a lot of different things that people can listen to and spend their time doing. Oh, that was the cliche. We know there are a lot of things that you could be spending your time on. But it means a lot to, to feel like we can um, present something in a new and fresh way that, you know, enhances someone's understanding of the world. Yeah. And y'all know, listening to us, we love true crime, too. And we listen to podcasts. <laughs> and I and the research still blows my mind sometimes. I yeah. mean, I won't tease it too hard but next week's episode I was working on research for that and I was like oh I don't really know this case and then I get into the culture side and I was like oh well I know this culture yeah (laughs) and it blows my mind how these things come to be yeah so like even today's episode we're doing part two of our Columbine two-parter and as I'm digging in and doing research and you know for me what's so interesting about this one is not so much the crime itself in the sense of a blow by blow of, of the series of events, you know, that's very well documented. What's really interesting to me about it is the sociological components, the psychological components. And so as I started doing the research and I looked into the history of school shootings, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, I want to start with just a little factoid about when was the first school shooting in the United States. And I go into that rabbit hole and I start looking back and of course it's all anecdotal and I'm looking at Wikipedia, so everything with a grain of salt, but as I'm looking at the evolution over time, so we have our first kind of documented school shooting in 1840 and looking at at how it expands, how it increases, but also how it changes in tenor. Like you go way back into the 1800s and they all seem pretty personal personal crimes, personal violent crimes that just happen to take place at a school, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why for so long, this whole idea of, quote, school shooting wasn't a thing because it was just a shooting that happened at a school. You know, someone got pissed with a teacher or whatever. And also, they seem to be disproportionately happening at universities, so older people, young adults. Mm -hmm. But as I looked... And going through time, moving through the 1800s and then into the 1900s, you know, they got more random. And the point was the horror of it happening at a school. The point was killing children, not just like a personal beef that happened to play out at a school. So seeing those changes, and and this is all pretty new information to me, and I feel like I'm someone who's well-read and I read articles about school shootings and gun control and gun violence and but I had never seen it presented in that way. And then, you know, I think today we're going to talk a bit about what it looked like after Columbine and how that changed. And it's so fascinating. But yeah, every time we do it, it's new information for me. And this is something that, you know, I spend more time than I'd like to admit thinking about and reading about and researching and consuming in various ways. I just so agree with everything you said. I mean, looking directly at Columbine, and I know we're going to talk about the after effects, but there was a piece you brought up last episode of this 
exponential growth of school shootings through decades, kind of starting with the 1970s. -hmm. This is not based on any science. This is only my own brain. I have to wonder if the access to news media Mm -hmm. spurs this in these narcissistic, violent psychopaths Mm -hmm. that... Yes, there were all these school shootings all the way back into the early 1800s, or I guess 1840s or mids, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It, it goes back deep, and I think one of the deadliest school shootings was in the 1920s or 30s, and it was still like, how would you know? You know, we grew up hundreds of miles apart, different states. How would I have ever even known that that happened Mm -hmm. and we say this like it's sort of a rallying cry through a lot of our cases of like well violent crimes Mm -hmm. video games music Mm -hmm. yeah and honestly it makes sense why the media has never questioned if it's the media (laughs) right right well yeah and to me The access to the news, the growing of television news Mm -hmm. into the growing of 24-hour news starting in the 80s and the way that these things are handled, I think this sort of infamy of these shootings and the news cycle, and as much as I hate to say it, a crime like Columbine is a local crime. Mm -hmm. It's a local Colorado crime, and it was national news for months and so especially as we get into copycats and things of that nature like i don't know i think we need to be examining the media's role in all of this yeah i mean definitely as i was looking through and and i mean this is kind of a a silly thing but these are the things that i notice as i'm doing this right so i'm looking through i find a list of all the um, school shootings in the u.s now, it t- it's two Wikipedia entries. There, there's just so many of them, right? It's two full entries. And I'm looking through. It's in a table. And I have to manually count them. They're not numbered, you know. And I'm sure I could have found some other resource that would have said the number. But I wanted to do this exercise. And I went through and I scrolled down the page, counting, counting, counting. And to do the entire from 1840 until today... It took a good, you know, five to seven minutes. I mean, imagine that, like to count that number. That's so crazy. And as I'm looking, I'm glad that I did it that way because I noticed stuff, you know, oh, this one was at a college or this one was like this or this one was like that and the, um, the casualties and and definitely as you see it accelerate, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, what happened? Like this jump, and I've my very highly organized journalistic fashion. I have my notes here on a paper towel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm flattening it out. Um, you know, that jump from 21 in the 60s, and it had just kind of trickled. So, you know, there was one in the 1840s, then three, then five, then seven. So, I mean, we're single digits all through the mm-hmm. 1800s, except for one decade. And then you get into the 1900s and now it's like 13, 18, 10, but you know, we're still like in that, you know, just kind of plus or minus 10. And then it's creeping in the fifties were 16 
and then in this in the 60s is 21 and then bam 40 and then it's like through the roof you know we we're seeing and now we know the names of these things because of covid it's like you know the exponential curve it, the curve becomes kind of vertical at a certain point it's rising so quickly and then you know from 2000 to today is its own separate page and that's when it just it gets yeah. ridiculous you know so i'm counting in the historic ones and and it's like oh okay a couple in 72 one in 73 and you get into the 2000s and it's like you know seven in november of 2013 or whatever like i'm making that up but mm -hmm. now now it's getting like week by week and there's multiple and so you know we see then after the 91 in the 90s i think there was a lot of after columbine like a lot of awareness a lot of discussion and the number dropped in the first decade of of the 2000s to 68. I mean, still a huge number, but 68. Yeah. But then in the in the teens, 227. 227. Oh my God. From 2010 until 2000, the end of 2019. I mean, what the fuck? That alone is almost as much as the entire 1900s, like the entire century, almost in that one decade. I think access to guns, changing gun technology, mm -hmm. I think, I, I don't have a solution to this, but the media glorification for clicks, yep. the media glorification for outrage, I mean, the fact that our news media runs on advertising, mm -hmm. they're going to milk something till the next. Yeah. Like terror building fear building so it cre it also creates this infamy that the people who do this get to go out in a blaze of glory and they're mm -hmm. going to be discussed and talked about so hard and then <laughs> mental illness and there's so many factors and it i think that's what the easy route is to be like well clearly it's video <laughs> games right or I it's mean... like but there were there were still shootings before video games <laughs> like yeah. yeah this is a much more human problem it's an american problem right and honestly i if i had to pick a scapegoat i'm looking at the media and maybe yeah. that's from my like media ethics and journalism classes but i don't know that it helps anyone to have months of coverage of a singular school shooting to what end? I mean, Congress hasn't passed anything. The American people haven't rallied. At this point, it's just like torture porn that right. we use for clicks. Although there's a very strange thing that I noticed as I was looking back through and counting. I'm looking at the most recent ones. And I, I mean, part of it is I'm kind of like in a media blackout right now because I just can't take it. So maybe that's what it is. But I'm looking back and it's like there were a bunch in November last year and like one in December, I think. And obviously the Oxford one made big news and I heard about that. But there were a bunch of others that I hadn't even heard of. And now I feel like it's kind of, you know, we find one that is egregious in some kind of, quote, newsworthy way. And that gets blown up. But then there are all these other ones that are less photogenic in whatever way. And like they just are happening, happen, happen, happen. And I mean, I think people's capacity to even comprehend it is surpassed in a way because it's just 
and I mean, when we look at the at the 2020s, like we're only two years and and two months into it, and we're at 43. So I mean, we're on pace to be mm-hmm. the same as the last decade, which is just like an appalling and astounding number. Well, and it's like you said, look at how many women are murdered how many children go missing and are murdered. Mm -hmm. You never see it on the news, but you Mm -hmm. get the right level of attractive upper middle class white woman, white Mm -hmm. child. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, this is the story we nationally care about for 14 to 30 days. Yeah, yeah. And then if there's a trial, I mean, I'm looking at Casey Anthony. I'm looking Mm -hmm. at so many through like the last decade and a half. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, it makes sense that it's the same with school shootings that, well, this one has a new angle that we can Mm -hmm. rely on. Uh, Okay, well, there were six others. Okay, well, that's fine. But we're going to focus on this one. But it's still like, right, there's something and probably the Internet, probably social media, probably access to information. I'm sure it's, it's certainly not a one one issue thing mm-hmm. it's a conglomeration of all of these pieces and right people are actively trying to halt fixing it right right which i mean you just have to wonder and i mean this is a little bit melodramatic but that's just who i am so i'm gonna say it is like this american experiment if there's ever a moment that makes me feel like we can call it a failure, like case closed is around this issue, just because the lack of any kind of will to do anything about it, you know, if this were anything else, I feel like we would be moving heaven and earth to change it. You know what I mean? And it's just, there's nothing. And maybe it's because there's not an easy solution, although there kind of is. But <laughs> given the restriction of we can't limit guns, when you take that off the table, there's no easy solution. Um, if Sandy Hook wasn't enough to unify Americans, nothing is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the other part of it, I wonder, too, and when I look at this one that I find very interesting is looking at, you know, the makeup of these two perpetrators. And mm-hmm. we've talked about a lot of kind of partner crimes or folly à deux. This one just doesn't feel like anything that you could use the word folly with, although none of them do. But, you know, they were very aware of what they were planning. They talked about it. They took a lot of glee in this idea of violence and and also terrorizing. You know, when I said that there's a lot about this crime that has more in common with a terrorist act than it does with, again, what we call a school shooting or what we think of when we say school shooting, that was very intentional. And it's because it was, I think, modeled around a terrorist attack. You know, they were very aware of Oklahoma City bombing. It had only happened recently. They planned things in a way. I mean, in a lot of ways, this was like a military operation or, you know, what they could conceive of as a military operation. And there were a lot of components to it that were, you know, mass casualties and maximum 
kind of terror. So bombs that were set to go off far afield to pull resources away. I mean, you know, the way that they're thinking about this is more as like an operation than a spur of the moment, we're angry and we're going to whatever causes school shootings in the first place or the kind of prototypical ones. But when we look at them as individuals, you know, in this case, I think because society was so shocked and horrified at this act, psychologists really dug into it and did a lot of assessing. They left behind videos and a lot of journal writing. So there was a lot of fodder for psychologists and psychiatrists to kind of go through and analyze what to make of these characters and how they contributed. And, you know, I think the kind of general understanding is that Harris was the more kind of typical psychopath and Klebold was a depressive who was suicidal and, you know, found himself in this relationship with someone who had very violent ideation and they kind of came together in this way. And Mm -hmm. I saw psychologists even say, you know, without this friendship and relationship with Harris, Klebold may have continued to be depressed. He may have continued to have violent fantasies and he may have even gone on to attempt suicide, but he probably would not have become outwardly violent or it's less likely Harris on the other hand I saw a psychologist say it's likely because this happened and he ended up dying in the attack that it probably prevented him from going on to do far worse things Hmm. the consensus seems to be that Harris was already a psychopath or a psychopath in the making and that all the evidence in his writings indicated that he could have gone on to become someone like Ted Bundy or Gacy or a, a big time like crazy serial killer like mayhem and, and violence all over the place. Yeah. So, you know, in looking at how they came together and and what that looked like, you know, I think part of the aftermath too was just this talk about how do we prevent it. And again, all with this big assumption that we can't do anything about the guns and access to guns. But, you know, without doing that, what short of that can we do to prevent this? And and they're never saying, well, let's hire more psychiatrists and psychologists for the schools. (laughs) Like that's also mental health care. Like that's the piece. Yeah. It's like, okay, we can't touch the guns well, let's talk about bigger budgets for school mental health care. Absolutely not from the same people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The same people that say it's not a gun issue, it's a mental health issue. It's like, okay, well, let's have resources for mental health. No. (laughs) That's what I meant about they're actively pushing against it. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's like, you know, talking out of both sides of your face. Is that the saying? (laughs) Mouth? Mouth. Yeah, on the one hand is like, yeah, let's let's do whatever we have to do, but we can't do A, we can't do B, we can't do C, um, and like nothing is left. I mean, it's kind of like having bake sales to to get school funding. You know, it's like, what can we do with zero resources to solve this really big problem? But you know, I saw a documentary with Dylan Klebold's mom that was made. I can't remember when. I can put it in the notes for the episode. 
Um, and she talked about kind of her process after of coming to accept that this had happened. And, you know, I think her self-blame that she hadn't seen. She had known that there were problems, but, you know, as a parent, she kind of minimized or maybe this is normal or he'll grow out of it. And all the things, you know, nobody, I think, wants to or find would find it easy to comprehend that their child would be capable of this. But, you know, she talks a lot about, you know, mindful techni- mindfulness techniques and getting these kinds of things into the schools and kind of combating some toxic masculinity and societal problems that way with essentially learning emotional regulation in school. So it's not even kind of that more advanced stage of treating people with real like psychological issues in school, but just from a very early age teaching kids, you know, emotional regulation, distress tolerance, kind of mindfulness, these things that can prevent it from getting to that point. So it's very interesting, but in terms of the outcome, I think, you know, you would wish that there would be a lot more of that. And it's just like a lot of hand wringing over nothing. Yeah, as if thoughts and prayers do anything. Yeah, exactly. Especially when they're tweeted by a politician who isn't praying and probably isn't thinking about it either. Right, right. Yeah. <sighs> mm-hmm. It's a hard one because, you know, this, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that this is almost 23 years ago now. But I feel like we literally have not taken one baby step forward from where we were. I mean, we've, we've, it's gotten worse. Mm-hmm. It's gotten yeah. worse. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are groups of, a political persuasion that are arguing to make silencers legal. (laughs) It's like, I don't know that we need to get into our own philosophies, but it's just like, we'll regulate them like gun or like cars. You Mm. have a written test, you have a practical test and you have to renew your license at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. And you know, you and I grew up in places where guns are really common I took a gun safety class in seventh grade. It's just, it's part of school. Everybody, everybody in my town has that in seventh grade. And you take a test and you get a little card and, you know, it's just normalized because hunting there is a thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, most households have a gun of some kind. And, you know, so, I mean, it's not hard. This is not brain surgery, how to, how to make simple things like that happen. And often, there already are models like that. It's just they weren't created for that intention. They were created for something that is more is more in line with this kind of Republican libertarian way of thinking. Like, oh, everybody wants to hunt. And, you know, a lot of towns, small towns in rural areas, I knew kids who had accidentally killed siblings with guns and you know, so it's like when it's from that perspective of, oh, it's an accident at home and we want to prevent that kind of thing or we want our kids to know how to hunt, then it's, oh, okay, that's fine. Like, let's have them learn gun safety and let's have them take tests and get little cards and licenses and stuff. But when it's like to protect society, no, no. <laughs> and this is not hyperbole. I would be willing to wager a decent sum of money that at least 
once every single month I see an article or a headline about someone being shot by a toddler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So just this proliferation of guns and idiots who don't protect about them, probably don't even know how to clean them, don't know. Because I grew up surrounded by guns, too. And, yeah, it's like you learn how to... Respect is not the right word. I just can't think of a good synonym. Like, you learn how to respect their capacity for murder is how I was raised. Like, like you have to know how to clean it. You have to know safety. You can never point it at someone. You have to respect the danger of that device. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, if we're not, if banning guns is off the table, it's like, yeah. Let's have practical tests, written tests. Let's have all of these measures that we have for driving a car. We have seat belts, like yeah. we have stop signs, red lights, like, okay, well, let's just put them in the same category then. I'm not trying to, I mean, I don't think anybody should have automatic weapons, but like, I'm not trying to ban them. It's like, just just the slightest step into common sense. Yeah. Yeah. And closing loopholes like gun shows and stuff. I mean you know yeah in this case they were able to get their hands on weapons through i think a couple of their weapons they got through gun shows but they were under age and they relied on other people who were 18 to -hmm. get them and a couple of people who acquired guns for them were actually prosecuted and spent time in jail um, but it just shows how easy it is. I mean, it's so easy to get your hands on on guns, no matter where you live in the United States. But yeah, I think because we, we moved into that realm of safety theater of like mm-hmm. clear backpacks. Right. It's like, well, what does that even do? Like right. it really should have been mental health care in our school systems that mm-hmm. doesn't exist and our school systems are desperately underfunded and yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's kind of like everything that we could do was taken off the table or everything that could move the needle was taken off the table and then okay what's left is all of these meaningless gestures and then you get the capitalism side too of selling backpacks with bulletproof linings and it's just yeah. like what the fuck world is this yeah yeah and i think this is i mean there's so many things right and like we could be jokey about it is like all the things that americans do that other people think are crazy like why do we have miles and not kilometers like you know the metric system um so many things <laughs> so i think that kind of our head scratchers but this is one that I mean I think we're kind of singular in the world in this regard maybe this in mass incarceration that I think is just puzzling to everyone mm-hmm. I mean it's puzzling to me and I live here so yeah well do you want to hear about the pop culture aftermath yeah I mean this is a big one maybe not worthy of your one of the biggest of all of the things that we've covered title but this is a big one yeah so obviously it sent shockwaves through the united states and they continue to this day Mm -hmm. so according to robert thompson founding director of 
the Blyer Center for Television and Popular Culture at Syracuse University, quote, it wasn't the first school shooting, but it became the extreme case. The word Columbine became a word that represented something much, much larger than that particular high school, end quote. So, I mean, clearly we've we've talked around those same words ourselves just in the last episode and this episode, but it's one of those moments that's a historical signifier, a before Columbine and an after Columbine. So much so that its reflection can be seen in media created by artists, writers, musicians, filmmakers for the last few decades. Mm-hmm. So doing the research, I was trying to determine the best way to tell this sort of pop culture story. And I decided to start with a couple pop culture figures who found themselves pulled into the Columbine discussion at the time. Mm-hmm. So of course, shock rocker and abusive piece of shit, Marilyn Manson, was immediately pulled into the conversation as national news media reported that the perpetrators were wearing Marilyn Manson t-shirts during the rampage and had been influenced by his music. And it was such a thing that he addressed it in a 99 Rolling Stone magazine article where he said, quote, when it comes down to who's to blame for the high school murders in Littleton, Colorado, throw a rock and you'll hit someone who's guilty. We're the people who sit back and tolerate children owning guns, and we're the ones who tune in and watch the up-to-the-minute details of what they do with them. End quote. Mm. It's almost no surprise after this, his next album was entitled Holy Wood, and it was a rebuttal to the accusations leveled against him and the group. I mean, Marilyn Manson is also a person and a band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was described as a declaration of war. So... The album was released to generally positive reviews, with many critics praising it as the band's finest work and multiple publications running it as one of the best albums of 2000. In the U.S., Hollywood was not as commercially successful as the band's preceding records. It debuted at number 13 on the Billboard 200. However, it became their most successful album internationally, debuting in the top 20 in numerous national charts. It was certified gold in several countries, including Canada, Japan, Switzerland, and the UK. Mm. So I think that's another interesting look at inside the U.S., versus outside the U.S. in this type of conversation, including the pop culture conversation. I wonder if the international interest was like rubbernecking or was it genuine interest and appreciation for the artistic part of it? I'd assume some level of both. Yeah. Other countries are shocked. Yeah. That we put up with this every single day. I So I, that must be a piece of this as well. Mm-hmm. In the single The Nobodies, Manson appeared to reiterate statements from that first-person piece with lyrics, quote, Some children died the other day. We fed machines and then we prayed, puked up and down in morbid faith. You should have seen the ratings that day, end mm-hmm. quote. Yeah. I mean, I hate to agree with them because he's a piece yeah. of shit, but I I agree with this one single line. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible, but that's that's our society. And then, of course, we look at quick people to blame. Yeah. So looking at another pop culture figure, it's Stephen King. Mm-hmm. So he had his own revelation when he realized his 1977 novel, Rage, had been on the reading lists of four school shooters. Mm-hmm. 
So even pre-Columbine. Yeah. So the book told the story of a high school kid who takes a gun to school, shoots his algebra teacher, and holds the class hostage. Mm -hmm. It only sold a few hundred copies, but starting in the late 1980s, King began to hear about teenage boys who were inspired by the book to commit crimes. Mm -hmm. And then after Columbine happened, he demanded that his publishers pull the book from publication. Mm -hmm. In interviews, he said he didn't think the novel caused anyone to kill, but he did believe that it could be a possible accelerant. Yeah, yeah. So then in 2013, he wrote a very controversial, unfortunately, um, but high-profile essay on gun control and violence. Mm-hmm. And in that essay, he mentioned this event. He said, quote, These were unhappy boys with deep psychological problems, boys who were bullied at school and bruised at home by parental neglect or outright abuse. They seemed to have been operating in a dream, two of them verbally asking themselves afterward why they did what they did. My book did not break them or turn them into killers. They found something in my book that spoke to them because they were already broken. Yet I did see rage as a possible accelerant, which is why I pulled it from sale. You don't leave a can of gasoline where a boy with firebug tendencies can lay hands on it. End quote. Mm -hmm. Even with intense coverage of news agencies and politicians placing the blame on pop culture, artists channeled this event, their feelings, their sadness, their rage into their work. Looking at music, the anatomy of a school shooting by Ill Bill is a straightforward reference to the Columbine Massacre. Lyrics are written like the story was told from Eric Harris's perspective. A song called Leave Me Alone by goth band The Cruck Shadows was remixed to incorporate audio clips from the anti-goth segment of ABC News show that aired during the days after the shooting. Mm -hmm. Columbine students Jonathan and Stephen Cohen wrote a song called Friend of Mine, which briefly received airplay in the U.S. after being performed at a memorial service that was broadcast nationwide. Mm -hmm. The song was pressed to CD with the proceeds benefiting families affected by the shooting and over 10,000 copies were ordered. Shortly following the release of that, the song was also featured on a benefit album called Lullaby for Columbine. Mm -hmm. Amanda Palmer, one half of the Dresden Dolls, performed Strength Through Music during the 2007 Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and that's a song about Columbine. So the song is on her first solo album that was called Who Killed Amanda Palmer, and she made a music video for it that was filmed in Lexington High School, Massachusetts, her alma mater. Mm. Rapper Tyler, the creator, made a reference to the shooting in his song Yonkers. He also has a song entitled Pigs, which he stated in a tweet was inspired by the two shooters. Rapper Violent J of the hip-hop supergroup Dark Lotus mentioned the Columbine High School shooting in the song Bad Rap. Rapper Bones released an album about the shooting in 2014 titled Teen Witch. The songs go inside the minds of Eric and Dylan leading up and throughout the shooting. Mm. Eminem references the shooting multiple times throughout his discography. Mm. Most famously, I'm Back off of the Marshall Mathers LP contained a line about Columbine that was censored. Mm. He then referenced the censorship and rap god recently and repeats the line saying it will not be censored this time because he's not as famous as he was when i'm back was released 
Remember Me and The Way I Am also reference the shooting, and the music video for White People includes a... (laughs) Sorry. For the song White People. I realized (laughs) as I said that that that, uh, (laughs) sounded weird. So the music video for the song... Oh, it's not even White People. It's White America. (laughs) (laughs) I'm leaving this in. We need a little bit of levity in this episode. (laughs) So the music video for the song White America includes a reference to the school shootings during the first chorus. Uh, Foster the People's extremely popular Pumped Up Kicks was inspired by the shooting. The issue of youth violence is a matter close to the group. Foster, the namesake of Foster the People, was bullied in high school. And the bassist for the band, uh, Cubby Fink, had a cousin who survived the Columbine Massacre. Oh, wow. Vink said of his cousin's experience, quote, she was actually in the library when everything went down. So I actually flew out to be with her the day after it happened and experienced the trauma surrounding it and saw how affected she was by it. She is as close to a sister. So obviously it affected me deeply. So to be able to have a song to create a platform to talk about this stuff has been good for us, end quote. Wow. So of course that song, if you're familiar, is on our playlist, but mm-hmm. it it contrasts these extremely dark lyrics with incredibly upbeat music. Mm-hmm. So Foster, the lead singer, said, quote, It's a fuck you song to the hipsters in a way, but it's a song the hipsters are going to want to dance to. Yeah. End quote. Totally, yeah. So going back to other songs, the song Broccoli by D.R.A.M. mentions the shooting. Childish Gambino's song, The Real, from his mixtape, briefly references Columbine. Fred Durst references the shooting in the Limp Biscuit song, Head for the Barricade. Ghost Bane song, Trench Coat, from his 2018 LP, references it. Uh, Code of the Friend mentions the shooting on his 2020 album. The song Columbine by Skinned and Bill Sabres about the shooting. And there's more 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 and so all of this just sort of in the music realm the last one i'll mention is cassie by the band flyleaf and that was a song that i was really interested in and hooked on when it came out and it it sort of follows the unsubstantiated christian narrative of the girl who the story was they asked if she believed in god and she said yes and they killed her i I mean it's come out later that that wasn't actually a true story but Mm -hmm. uh, that song was inspired by that and was also kind of a christian rallying cry that Mm -hmm. came after the shooting moving over to the stage columbinus is a 2005 play written by stephen carum and pj paparelli And the play looks at issues of alienation, hostility, and social pressure in high schools. Mm -hmm. It premiered in Silver Spring, Maryland in 2005 and then went off-Broadway in 2006. In 2014, The Library was another play inspired by Columbine, and it premiered at the Public Theater in New York City. And that was directed by Steven Stodeberg and starred Chloe Grace Moretz. Mm -hmm. And literature... Brooks Brown, a survivor who was targeted by law enforcement and students after the massacre due to his lifelong friendship with Dylan Klebold, reacted to the shooting and its aftermath in his memoir, No Easy Answers, The Truth Behind Death at Columbine. Mm. 
In 2009, Jeff Cass's book, Columbine, A True Crime Story, explains the events that led up. Um, Like you mentioned, Dylan's mother published an essay about the aftermath of the massacre in 2009. Mm. Um, She's also written a memoir titled A Mother's Reckoning, Living in the Aftermath of Tragedy, that came Mm -hmm. out in 2016. Uh, Dave Collins' book, Columbine, was released in 2009, includes analysis of the massacre. Mm. In the novel Theory of Bloom, um, it's revealed the revolutionary potential of school shootings. There's an unpublished issue of Hellraiser by Warren Ellis and Philip Jimenez depicting a study of a series of fictional school shootings. And again, there's so many, but the last one I pulled was... Another from Jody Pico, and it was her popular 2007 novel, 19 Minutes, which was deeply mm-hmm. inspired by the case. And she said, quote, I have three children and I was watching all of them at different points in their school careers being bullied. It got me wondering why, in a post-Columbine world, we haven't figured this out yet, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So her novel tells a story of a bullied, alienated high school student who commits an act of violence. Mm. And she met with and spoke with Columbine survivors. And even, I mean, I know this is a weird tidbit, but I felt like it was important. So we think about these like types of media and is it exploitation, is it inspiration, where does that land? Mm-hmm. But she received a standing ovation from families in Littleton during a book event that was held there years later. So at the very least, it spoke to the families. And she spoke about that event saying, quote, it was really moving. You realize that the people who want to talk about it the most are the people who lived through it. The Mm -hmm. one thing I think we've learned and the one thing I think pop culture is good for is the more that we see it pop up, the more we are reminded that this is a worthy subject, end quote. Mm. Hmm. So an interesting discussion about works like this and is it exploitation or not. Yeah, that's an interesting angle. So switching gears, disgustingly, there are two video games inspired by the massacre. I have them in my notes, but I'm not even going to name them. Yeah. It's just they got a lot of criticism, luckily. Moving over to TV... In a TV Guide interview, Mike Judge told the story of a letter he received regarding the King of the Hill episode, Wings of the Dope, in which a protagonist's deceased boyfriend visits her in the form of an angel. The episode premiered in 1999, two weeks after the shooting, and the fan who wrote to Judge had been inside the school during it. She credited the episode with helping her allow herself to grieve a friend of hers that she was in love with. So again... There's all these questions of, and obviously that wasn't planned. I mean, if it came out two weeks later, it was already written. But like the power of media and allowing and utilizing pop culture as a method of processing our lives and our happiness and our sorrow and our traumas, I think it is really a hand-in-hand kind of symbiotic relationship that warrants a PhD level study, but... Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be able to touch on it at least a little bit through this. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because 
you know, where is that line between exploitation? And it makes me think of something not related, but that is current right now, which is the, the series about, um, Pamela Anderson and Mm. her sex tape and like, you know, is that re-victimizing? And that topic is something that as a society we're grappling with. And so how do we process that? And, you know, I, I think it's just touched on part of what I love about our podcast, which is what is the meaning and purpose of true crime to humans as, as entities, you know, I think it's so much more than just rubbernecking or morbid curiosity. I do think it fulfills a deeper need. Um, so sorry, yeah. tangent, but yeah. And so exploring some of this, some of the other sides of things that I'm not certain don't fall into exploitation. So American mm-hmm. Horror Story season one, they follow a character named Tate who perpetrated a high school shooting. And in the following, there's like multiple episodes about it. And it's just like, I guess I don't, I just don't know. I don't know where it falls on something like that. But then you move into like family guy and Brian and Stewie have a sketch discussing the, the massacre. And it's like, yeah, it's a bit of comedy and comedy makes fun of tragedy, but I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. there is no one single line, I guess. Yeah. So kind of lastly in the TV show realm, there's a TV show, a Netflix original that I really love called The OA. It was canceled, mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the end of season one was based on the massacre. And it was an incredibly powerful and moving scene and moment. And yeah, I I don't know the answer. I don't know how I'd feel if this was something that affected me and my family as opposed to me as just an American spectator. Right. But looking at movies, uh, Reunion, an acclaimed short film about the 13 victims, uh, was released in 2009. The production of the 2000 DC animated universe film Batman Beyond Return of the Joker was heavily impacted by Columbine. This resulted in many violent scenes, such as the Joker's death in certain dialogue, being considered bad for children and censored and removed. Mm. Uh, There was a 2003 mockumentary called Zero Day that detailed the events leading up to the shooting. Uh, Of course, Bowling for Columbine, the Academy Mm -hmm. Award-winning documentary by Michael Moore, Mm -hmm. deeply explores the massacre and its context within American culture at the time. There's a film, I'm Not Ashamed, that came out in 2016. It was commissioned by Rachel Scott's family to honor their daughter, who was the first victim of Columbine. Mm -hmm. And lastly, um, Elephant was a 2003 American drama by Gus Van Sant, set in fictional Watt High School, is based in part on the Columbine Massacre. And the film began as a documentary that Van Sant initially intended to make about Columbine. And speaking about the film and Columbine's cultural impact, film critic Dessen Thompson said, quote, Columbine is now a little like the way 9-11 is ingrained in our cultural perspectives, so that something like Elephant doesn't even have to directly allude to it. 
because we were so immersed in Columbine, the filmmakers know that the audience has that reference point. So it doesn't take much to even poke at that for all of that dimension to come swimming through our consciousness, mm-hmm. end quote. So to that end, there's so much more. I could be talking for hours just listing things, but I've, I felt it was better to try to conceptualize this discussion of yeah. exploitation versus inspiration. And I don't have an answer to that piece, but I think it goes to show not even direct one-to-ones, even though, of course, so many direct ones-to-one, music, film, TV, all of the different arenas, but just who we are as a people, Mm -hmm. this is an American consciousness. I don't know what that means for Gen Z either, because Columbine won't be the thing, but the school shooting world we live in certainly is. Mm -hmm. So, like I said... This is and will forever be a post-Columbine world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of changed the identity of America and Americans. And we've been forced, whether we like it or not, to accept that this is who we are and this is a part of what we are. And it makes me think, I mean... I don't know a whole lot about it, but I'm very intrigued and I've read a little bit here and there about the Jungian concepts of, you know, archetypes, but also collective id and things like that. And I couldn't help it as I was looking at the trajectory of the school shootings and the numbers and when it spiked, spiking in the 70s, right after the Vietnam War and Mm. kind of the psychological trauma of that on you know the american psyche as as a collective and then what does that do to a population and to be in this kind of um you know unjust conflict i think you know at least from the american identity perspective it's the first time i think that not all, but a lot of Americans saw ourselves as aggressors, as not, you know, upholding a just kind of purpose. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of coming out in, in this way of just like societal violence surges suddenly. And, and I think the strange thing is, I think, you know, in the 80s, then there was some kind of drop that was associated with Roe v. Wade and, and kind of like, you know, so there, there was a lot going on with violence during the 70s and 80s. It's very complex, like you said, worthy of, of PhD, uh, worthy of a dissertation. And probably there are, like, research studies on it and lots of dissertations about it. But just super interesting to me, um, the way it all comes together. And just it gets my, my mental juices flowing and wanting to know more. Yeah. And I mean, it is one of those rare ones where even just thinking about music, it hit into almost every genre. I mean, we have a lot of cases that are like grunge rock, torture rock, violent yeah, yeah. rock, where it's like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But this, I mean, hip hop, rock, Christian, pop, yeah. dance, like just music alone it ran the spectrum and that's because i mean as americans of a certain age 
we're different because of this. Yeah. Yeah. And we weren't there. We didn't have, I mean, our trauma is so removed from it, Mm -hmm. but it's still like a collective American experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then the ripple effects beyond that of, you know, technically part of the culture, but not pop culture, like, you know, the um, active shooter drills and, you know, gun metal detectors at schools. And like you said, the clear backpacks and all of the, you know, things that came after that were supposedly to address the problem. But then Gen Z growing up, um, you know, with all of this and and it's just a cultural assumption there was no time before for them mm-hmm. yeah and i mean speaking of active shooter drills my active shooter training at work we listened to actual 911 calls from columbine yeah. it was deeply traumatic deeply upsetting i had to go home after i'm, I'm sure we've we might have even talked about it last episode, but I know I've mentioned it in the podcast somewhere. Like it was traumatic as hell. Just listening 20 years later to those calls and horrific, just horrifying. Well, I think that's where this aspect of it being a terrorist kind of crime comes in, you know? It's random. It could happen anywhere. It's pervasive. And no one is safe, essentially. I so agree with connecting this to terrorism. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's clearly not serial killing. Yeah. You know, of course, it's like a spree killer. Like, it has a a name. But, like, we should look at them as terrorists. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is. And it, and it's not just schools. I mean, when I think of like that Walmart shooting or, yeah, I mean, I could name off hundreds of them, but there was like one in Gilroy, California, the garlic festival. And mm-hmm. like the whole goal is to terrorize. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to the listeners, I, I hope this kind of spurs some of the same thought and discussion. Mm-hmm. I know there aren't clear cut answers to any of it. Yeah. But we can't let a complacency just build mm-hmm. and accepting this society and not being willing to use your voice to help change the society in some yeah. way. I mean, not even like as a political statement, but as a health and safety is how we interact with our own families, our own lives. We step out into a dangerous world. Yeah. Yeah, is this the the world that we want to live in? So I guess with that, we'll have a a more standard type of crime episode next week. But thank you for going on this two-part journey with us. It's clearly a heavy one, but I, I'm glad we, we did our best to tackle it. Yeah, I think it's it's an important one to continue talking about. The conversation is it's important. And we appreciate the hell out of you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Most Foul. If you've got a tip for a future episode topic or want to send us your own inciting incident for a mini episode, visit our website at mostfoulpod.com and write in. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 